0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Welcome to Series 2 of Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. Hello. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and I write the Ask Annalisa column in The Guardian each Saturday. Every week when researching the column I get to speak to some amazing specialists and this podcast allows me to go into more detail on subjects that come up all the time. I self-fund this podcast so if you'd like to support us so that we can make more you can share it widely. If you'd like to make a one-off donation you can follow the link in the description of this episode which will take you to the ACAST supporter page and if you'd like to listen ad-free head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Annalisa Barbieri, where you can become a supporter. This episode, about managing differences between people, something we all have to navigate at times, sees me talking to my very first therapist. Psychotherapist Gabrielle Rifkind is the amazing person who sorted me out all those years ago when I was a very young adult. She changed my life. Gabrielle and I have kept in touch, and while she's still a psychotherapist, she's also a mediator and a conflict resolution specialist, often going into war-torn areas to try to reduce tensions between conflict parties. She's worked in the Middle East, Asia, Europe, and is currently back home in the UK. I can't think of a better person to talk about managing differences. She's also the founder and director of the Oxford Process, an organisation which helps to manage radical differences, an author and artist. In this episode, we learn about how, actually, differences between political parties or individuals at home or in families often boil down to the same emotions, how words don't always make it better. And Gabrielle shares a wonderful technique she has used to help smooth out bumps in the road with friends, which is super seductive. Listen out for it. I've used it since she told me about it and it's amazingly effective. First of all Gabrielle, I'm really excited to welcome you to my podcast because you were my very first therapist and um, I don't expect you to remember our first meeting but I certainly remember it. I was just out of my teens and you were are an art therapist And I came into your room and you asked me to draw a picture. That was my first foray into therapy. I was just out of my teens and I kind of didn't know what was wrong, but I knew something was wrong. And I remember our last session because I remember coming out into the Lab Book Grove sunshine and thinking, God, I'm the same person, but I feel like I have a different set of tools. And I remember that feeling really, really well. So. Who would have thought all these years later that uh, I would be doing what I do and I would be speaking to you. So that's quite exciting.
2: That's lovely. Yeah, and and it's not just a different set of tools. It's how we think about ourselves, how we've changed the narrative, the story that we tell about ourselves, that we retell it in a way
1: that it looks like sunshine outside. Mm. But you went on to become A conflict resolution expert and that's what you've been doing for the last 20 years as well as you know lots of other things but you've worked in some pretty high conflict situations and I just wondered how I mean I think that no matter who you are at the heart of conflict or differences and this episode is all about managing differences are two or more human beings who disagree would you say that's right Yes. I mean, I think most communications
2: are misunderstandings, often disruptions. And the idea that we would be attuned and understand what the other person means is probably mostly delusional. And that's why we have to work so hard in our communications, because you don't know what's in my mind. I don't know what's in your mind. And what we're trying to do is create a communication so we have more achievement to
1: be each other's inner lives, inner worlds. So when you say delusional, does that yeah. mean? So what you mean is you, do, you don't really know what the other person's thinking? Yeah. Um, but you can have an idea, can't you? Well, we can, but we're often very wrong because
2: we tend to see the world through our own lens and we project onto the other person what's in our head. And this is both true at the individual level and at the family level, the community level, the psychopolitical level. What took me into conflict resolution is I started my professional life as an art therapist. I then became a group analyst and a psychotherapist. And I then found myself
1: out in the Middle East. Right. So how do you start to build the trust?
2: Well, Let's assume people have been involved in conflict where people in their families have died, their community, they maybe they've killed, that we've been starting an environment of mistrust and they will treat me with suspicion. It's a process that will take time and involve many, many conversations. And Lisa, you often talk about in your programme about the importance of listening um, that people will often be full of emotion and not in a place of rational thought or making decisions that necessary in their self-interest. They might actually be more in a state where they're more interested in hitting back, retribution, making the other side suffer. You know, they want the other, per- the other side to know how much they have suffered. And I think you have to create a safe space in which people can vent some of these emotions and can feel that they're being properly listened to. And, And part of that, I think you sometimes say, well, listening's not enough, it's how. And it's important the how is things like remembering what they say. That's very important. That's about being taken seriously being genuinely interested, but never putting into their minds what they think. You have to ask the kind of open-ended question in which you're learning because often you don't know and you don't know how someone else feels. We can begin to imagine, but we really have to inquire and we have to take very seriously what they say and the world in which they're existing.
1: Some people listening will be in high-conflict situations. But really, most people are in, you know, a relationship, say, where there's conflict or there's family conflict. So I'd like to sort of think about that. Although what surprises me is how much what you're talking about relates even on a sort of granular level, you know, beyond a war zone. There's often these things can translate to a domestic level. You're sort of saying absolutely about listening and how you listen and showing your vulnerable side I remember in the past you've said that really to sort of overcome differences yes but not everyone has you there so (laughs) someone listening to this who doesn't have a mediator and they are aggrieved but they're talking to someone else who's aggrieved yes um now my anecdotal experience is that it's often one person who wants to make things better more than the other do you think that's fair Oh, very fair.
2: And that's often to do with the unequal power in the relationship. The one who's got more power might not feel they have to do much. And often the weaker party wants to equalize that power. It's very true that it, it's unusual for both parties to be really, really to be ready and to do the kind of, to engage in the kind of way that will make a difference and I often talk about how do you ripen or how do you create the conditions and I think you're completely right it doesn't matter whether it's in a war zone or a war zone in the family or in a relationship between a couple or a a parent and child, so there's very similar things going on. People feel wounded, they feel humiliated, they often feel very vulnerable. I do believe quite profoundly that it's in the space of vulnerability that we can actually connect and become closer and more intimate. But in the space of vulnerability, we can, people can also abuse it. I mean, it's quite interesting what you thought about that whole notion of vulnerability.
1: I think it's a really interesting word because I don't think in society we really talk about showing vulnerability. You know, there's that thing of be kind, be strong, be this. But it's really all about buffering ourselves against the world and actually being vulnerable is not something that people aspire to. And you're right, I mean, in some places, it's dangerous to show your vulnerability. Yeah. Um, but I do think if you're trying to manage a difference, overcome a difference and build some sort of common ground, now remember, we don't know what these differences could be. They could be yeah. a really big difference of opinion on, you know, race or sexuality. So there's yeah. various levels. But I think ultimately, a lot of people think it's about being right or wrong. Yes, and yes. It's, it's not that black and white, is it? No,
2: no. I mean, when you think you're right or wrong, that kind of bipolar view of the world, I think we often get very stuck. What you're trying to do is create a space where, I suppose, of some kind of humility. We're not even often that sure what is right or wrong, but we... Often want to present that certainty because we have a kind of, I say, rather mythological idea that that's actually how it makes the world safe. And what's very difficult is to live in a space of not knowing. But that space of not knowing maybe sometimes offers more creativity, more opportunities, more new ideas. And it's how to make that safe enough so people can tolerate it. I mean, that's certainly one of the things that happened with COVID. We didn't really know what was going to happen, what it means. And and governments felt they couldn't show that uncertainty. I think people can be helped to manage that zone, that area of not knowing, and feel safe.
1: I think it takes a lot of confidence to do that, actually. I I think, paradoxically, to be vulnerable and show uncertainty, you do need some confidence. to sort of our mythical couple be it a romantic couple or a parent and child so there's differences there's conflict yeah what advice would you give them for how to start the conversation
2: yes, you not yes. but
1: you're, you know but you won't be there <laughs> so what would you say to them how do you start so they can show humility
2: let's imagine so we've got this couple ever they say jay just irritate each other more than they both think that they're getting at each other and trying to undermine them I would say first of all never have a conversation like this if you're in the middle of an argument it's really important that you create an environment when you're not both feeling tense and worked up and angry with the other person so you might even say to them look we're not we're getting stuck at the moment let's try and find a more conducive environment and and in my complete resolution work we might say something like why don't we go for a walk in the woods but in your own family you know it might mean people would choose their own thing sometimes it's let's if you if you can let's go for a meal or let's have a walk or let's sit down and watch something so you want to set i call it setting the scene creating the right conditions it's a bit like when people come to therapy that they know that you've created this safe space that you take a great care of and that you know especially protected for them so you think what's your version of that but whatever Bring the temperature down before you try any kind of conversations. I think we all know we're very worked up and we often just throw things at the other person and it just winds it up more and more. And in fact, all we know is telling them what we think has made it worse. So I don't think we can assume that words always make it better. It's how we do it. So we try in the first place to make a quite conducive environment. We don't necessarily hit it straight on. Sometimes doing something together in itself can change things. Could be doing some cooking together or sitting down and watching a film or whatever. Just the act of doing something where it's not so tense is an important beginning. And then we have to decide whether we talk about something that's very difficult. I mean, I suppose being a psychotherapist, I'm mostly a fan of finding language, finding words. But I've also learned the importance of being stum. Psychotherapy gets very carried away thinking that speaking is everything. It's how and when you do it. And it doesn't mean that you have to always share everything. Sometimes it's a good idea not to, but actually to be restrained and contain it.
1: I've learned about the power of silence sometimes, and also time sometimes to think. I have sometimes in my own family said, I need to go away and think about this. And I, especially yeah, with my children, yeah. I've stressed, you know, yeah. I'm not withdrawing my love. I just need to yeah. think about this. And sometimes you can let things go, um, I think, but but sometimes if there's a, a big difference, you do need to. So you, you set the scene. I. I totally agree about not having an argument, um, not discussing when you're in an argument. You know, I think all of those things are really good ideas, as long as both partners agree, of course. I mean, sometimes I hear from people saying, yeah, you know, my partner just won't won't talk. And we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Yes. But so you set the scene. And then how might you start talking that allows them yeah. to get to a, a place of humility and vulnerability and also get, allows you to... I was having some difference with somebody in my own family.
2: What we agreed to do was during lockdown that we would actually have a Zoom conversation. Mm -hmm. And I actually said to them, look, I think it's really important that I listen to you properly. I don't say anything for the first 15, 20 minutes um, because I could see she was very full of emotion and there were all kinds of things she needed to say. And she needed me to hear her and take her very seriously and i think that was a very very important first step and i think within that it's very important you don't tell the other person what they think you don't tell them what's going on in their head because that usually gets up people's noses and makes them very annoyed Mm -hmm. so you begin by listening very carefully You might mirror it back to them and see if you've got it accurate. But again, you need to do that very carefully and you need to say, have I got this right? Or is this something that you, you want to modify? And because you might well get it wrong, but that's fine as well. So the first act is, is the listening. And within that is listening to be curious, to be genuinely interested. Later to remember, because people care about that, um, and then that what we're talking about is managing very difficult conversations. So this might be around emotional differences or it might be around ideas because we live in this very siloed world where people are picking up different information, they're living hermetically sealed lives just to talking to people who think like them
1: Mm -hmm. and not
2: crossing the barricade and engaging with people who are different so that that certainly happened on brexit you can see it in an extraordinary way between the democratic and republican party in the states it's very easy to think if someone thinks differently to you to feel quite superior Mm. and to think that mm, you're better informed you're more moral than them and, and in some way you think you're better And this is a great trap. And dare I say that um, liberals can get very trapped in a kind of liberal fundamentalism where we think the other side's ill-educated, hasn't thought about it properly, and that we are superior to them, basically. And I think that's not at all helpful. It's one of the reasons why we have such deep polarization in our society. And quite often, if we do listen, we want to pull the person across the barricade and we want them to then think like us. So we listen, hoping to convince them the same, uh, to think the same as us. And it's really difficult to actually listen and then tolerate somebody's different point of view. So if they don't think the same as me on abortion, I want to convince them. And that's the area where we get very, very stuck. Why is it difficult? Is it fear? Yeah, good question. I think it's we feel safe if people think like us. Maybe it leads us to positions of doubt if think people think differently. But we're very caught up in being righteous and thinking we're right. And I think something we miss is that people have such profoundly different experiences. And I sometimes say, that a lot of the things people think have been passed on with their mother's milk. And actually what I mean is, I've worked with people, I think right from the time a baby is born, it is taught certain things about the other side that's the enemy. And it's in that relationship at a very early stage that this is what people believe. And it's true on all sides. So what I mean is is that these ideas Oh, it's not it's not the milk. The milk's wonderful. It's the ideas that are passed on very early. And therefore you sort of have to get a sense of where these ideas are coming from. And I mean there are times when you can you can't tolerate them, but if you understand, you know, if people have come from religious families, ideas have been passed down with a certain kind of clarity in which they don't even feel able to question things. And sometimes when we get genuinely curious and start listening and get interested, I think what we feel about that difference becomes different. In what way? That we perhaps don't feel so intolerant of it. We can understand why someone has something very different, you know, uh, if you understand their personal experience. So it's the sharing of it's going beyond sort of rigid, ideological ideas to understanding people's personal stories and why they think in a particular way.
1: I totally understand that. And I think, again, on a more domestic level, you know, we are often brought up thinking that auntie so-and-so is not very nice or uncle so-and-so. And And actually, it's only when you grow up and hopefully make your own decision that you think, actually, they're not that bad, but they don't like each other because of something that happened in like 1946. And I think that, you know, I, think, I mean, I grew up thinking that Mussolini was a good thing because that's what <laughs> my mum had taught me. You know, she's yes, told, yes. He, he made everyone exercise, he sent every child to school and I had to, and it's quite a big deal, isn't it? Going away from what your parents have taught you because in a way there's a slight rejection of them in doing that.
2: Well, yes, and we don't really quite realise where our ideas come from and how merged they are and how we just take them on through relationships. And I suppose what we're trying to do is over time is separate from what people's, the ideas people have passed on to us recognizing them because some of them are rather wonderful but also working out what our own mind is and and of course that's what psychotherapy is about it's probably probably a very western concept is to work out what do i think what do i believe and can i can i almost stand alone in that and not have to always have it shaped because i want people's love and approval
0: Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: I think we do curate some of our friendships now on social media. I'm really lucky that my closest friends are from when I was 11 wow. and we do have slightly different views, but we always, we have that kind of common bond. I personally love hearing other people's differing opinions. I mean, it, it depends obviously what it is. There are some things that are a no-go area for me in terms of women, you know, women violence against people, yes. and, you know, yes. if, if yes. that's what somebody thinks. um, And I and I think it, it's very difficult to find a common ground with sometimes you know the differences are just too great yeah but we've got our mythical couple and they've started to talk i mean can you at what point are the differences too big that you can't meet in the middle
2: well it's not that you will always meet in the middle it's can you bear to manage and tolerate the difference and with a couple keep loving each other and that they might have completely different ways of seeing. I I mean, I do a lot of couples work uh, and I always love it because of the energy between people, but I often find it's really common. I have one couple at the moment where she wants him to think like her, live a life like her, do things. Basically, she wants to him to be some Hmm. kind of clone of her her Hmm. yes and she doesn't even know she's doing it and actually often i think the most healthy relationships is where you can actually tolerate the difference people often say it's very difficult to have different politics from your partner or how they want to spend the time might be profoundly different i think to allow that space for difference can also allow a huge amount of flourishing to take place.
1: Just generally, how do people get to the place where they can tolerate that difference? Is it about how much they're prepared to put up with?
2: I think it's partly what they're used to, what kind of world they were brought up in, how much, I mean, I think this is more and more of an issue because with social media, people are just listening to information that is not shared information. It's just to reflect what you already think. And that's what algorithms do. They take you to what you already are expressing your
1: interest in. I suppose what I would say to people is, where does your point of view come from? and try and trace it back, and how important is it? And how important is the relationship with that person? So, you know, to take a topic that's very hot at the moment, which is about vaccination, you know, I have friends that have a different opinion to me, and they are still my friends, and if we meet and we can talk about it, I'm happy to. I don't want to be lectured to, and I try not to lecture to them, but I try and look at it as a whole, which is this person isn't just the fact, that they have their particular stance. But obviously there are some people that have differing opinions that are very different. I mean, we have someone in the family who's really racist and yeah, yeah. there is no reaching him and there is no listening to him. And I can't reach a place where I tolerate the difference because-
2: Is that because you've already decided that you're not going to listen to him?
1: Uh, well, I or... spent 20 years listening to his misogyny and racism and right. then I just had enough, really. I just think I'm never going to change your mind I think he's wrong and I don't really want to share space with him. So I made that decision a few years ago. Um, And for me, you know, I've made that decision. There's nothing else in it because certain things are just unnegotiable for me.
2: Yeah, no, I think there are a point where you do say this is intolerable. But I suppose with someone like him, if you've probably done it, if you had a conversation and understood where his ideas came from would you learn anything new and would there be any space in which you different way of seeing
1: well every conversation we had i i can see where it comes from but he's not done the work for me do you see it's just about me understanding him and actually after a while it gets a bit tiring and i just think no you know you know this is you have to manage differences both people have to want to and he really doesn't yeah um so i think there are certain times with certain people you just have to make that decision that there is not enough common ground you just can't continue the friendship or the relationship that must be the case where sometimes you just the differences is it's just too big or one person's doing too much work and that's not fair
2: yes no i think that's true you know there there are moments where you have to decide what's acceptable and not acceptable. You might be someone who supports fascism and you think, I'm not going to engage with them. But I think if you can allow yourself to get underneath and understand where people's ideas come from. Sometimes you're surprised that something new emerges. And what happens is that you have to manage these very radically different points of view. And it doesn't mean that we'll necessarily find common ground. I think that's the hope we always have, but we might not. We might end up in very, very different positions.
1: If you can't find any common ground, what do you have? What is the relationship, friendship? Well, if it's friendship, I mean, I think you would have to decide, am I going to
2: take care of that relationship or is it something I don't want anymore? We have to discriminate in those areas. But, you know, if it's something, someone has a very, very different view on abortion and it it comes from a very religious position and it's very disturbing or troubling to us, it's a real challenge whether we can tolerate that difference. But particularly as if we think it's going to be a threat to us and a threat to how we live our lives, then that becomes very difficult.
1: What do you mean by threat?
2: Well, you just need to look at what's happened in um Texas and how they're changing the abortion laws. So that means it's going to that is a threat to many women as to actually how they live their lives.
1: When I think about stuff like the abortion laws, I think uh, that's an environment where I won't be listened to as a woman. So I immediately yeah. feel threatened. Yeah. Um, you know, my childbearing years are behind me, but I think, well, this is not a safe place for women. That's my immediate, I immediately go to a threat mode. Yeah, and I, and I guess that that's the case when we take it, you know, percolate it down. If somebody has a difference to us, we we do immediately go to a feeling of threat. And when you feel threatened... You don't feel like finding common ground.
2: Yeah, I think it's very well put that when we feel threatened, our defences go up. Um, we, we're not actually open to listening the, to the other person's point of view. We've often already made up our mind and that and decided what the other person thinks. And it requires us to relax some of our defences and create a genuinely open environment in which we are able to listen to something that we might not agree with.
1: Well, it goes back to what you said at the beginning about taking the emotion out of it. Because when you're emotional, you're not rational. You know, the part of your brain that's gone into, you know, your amygdala's on overdrive. Yes. Threat, threat, correct. threat. And yep, you do yeah. have to take a step back and think about things and be open. And obviously, hopefully, people listening to this do want to manage differences. So they would create an environment where they both feel safe. And I want to go back to that sort of vulnerability. Cause I, I really think that's so important. What is showing vulnerability? Well, first of all, I think you have to choose.
2: I'm sure we discussed it in the early days. You have to choose where, who you share your vulnerability to, and you have to decide: will they support me, or will they abuse the vulnerability? You know, you can share vulnerability to some people, and they'll start just sharing it, and they'll they'll be indiscreet about it, and that's not okay. What you what you if you share it. And I think you choose people who you're very close to by showing that vulnerability, then in fact what happens is that's often the space we can become more intimate. Because if the other person is always seen to be strong, we never actually get that close to them we've always got all our defenses up and it's often when we show that emotion I mean I don't know if you've got memories of it that you you realize that the other person's much more responsive they share some vulnerability about themselves and you make a step forward into a space of intimacy.
1: I think it's very important to reiterate the thing about knowing when to show vulnerability because obviously there are people who will abuse that and he won't meet you on that journey um is there any way of knowing Is it just experience who not to show it to
2: i think it is it, it is you know i i know my circle i've got some friends however much i think they're wonderful they're indiscreet mm. they're not capable of not of not passing on uh, information i've got others who i know would be incredibly respectful of the confidentiality and wouldn't uh, and would also use it as part of a loving relationship as opposed to in some way exploiting it. I think you, you sort of know who you trust in that way and who you don't. Or if I'm just thinking in a, in a partnership where the relationship's in trouble, you might think how do we build this trust so it's safe enough to, to share
1: difficult things. Um, what about if one person is just right though? <laughs> <laughs> Give me an example. I don't know. I'm just thinking that, I don't know, but I'm just thinking about what about if somebody does something that's it's someone listening to this and just thinking, yeah, but I'm just right about the argument. I mean that in itself, I guess you could say, you have to look at that, Yeah. but if yeah. someone's listening, thinking, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just right. What would you say to them?
2: Well, you might be, <laughs> but if you're going to communicate that, Um, you're going to create a counter-reaction in the other person. Um, And if you've watched, people are often very skilled in this kind of thing. They might start with, I'm not sure if I'm right about this or this might not make sense to you, what I'm saying. Actually, as a psychotherapist, you have a whole kind of set of things that it's not contrived, but you that you might say, I'm not sure you're going to like what I'm going to say. I think you're going to want to throw it away, or this is going to be difficult. So what you're doing is you're setting the scene Mm. where you're actually trying to uh, reduce people's defense structure, so they're more open to hearing. So you have to just think about the impact you're having on the other person. And if you're absolutely insistent that you're right, you usually create a counterforce in the opposite direction.
1: What do you mean by that? Sorry.
2: You know, you tell your partner how they were basically wrong, stupid, insensitive, as opposed to presenting it in a way that they can hear.
1: Right. I see. I suppose you wouldn't really get anywhere if that's what (laughs)
2: you did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we do it all the time. You know, you think, how do you... And often with children, we try harder, we take more care to present it in a way they can hear it. With partners or people we're really in a rage with. We don't want to do it. We just really want to hit back and, and not take the care or trouble.
1: Well, I suppose we want them to know how hurt we are and, yes. you know, and that's yes. that's understandable. But I guess it really comes down to whether you want to move things forward or not.
2: And also taking ownership of what you feel. So if you say to the other, what you did made me very angry, they're not going to listen. But if you start saying, look, it really hurt when you did this. This is what was very upsetting to me. And then what you're doing is you're taking it back to yourself and you're taking responsibility. When you get into blaming the other person, they stop listening or they hit back at you. And it's really common for us to do that. And actually change happens when we talk about why it's difficult for us.
1: When you get to the bottom of, be it, you know, political leaders, people in your therapy room, talking about managing differences, what does it boil down to? Are there particular emotions that you, you think it's, it's always about that?
2: Well, let's assume that there's a whole layer of emotions before we've even started around things like humiliation. There might be hatred. There might be disrespect, contempt. And so we need to deal with those emotions to begin with and try and create a different quality of the environment in which people are genuinely trying to look for kinder, softer emotions. Um, You can't
1: underestimate the role of kindness. And kindness makes people feel safe.
2: And and what kindness often means, I sort of left a pause after that, thinking, oh, where's she going to take me with that question? But what kindness is, is thinking about the other person Mm. and the act of doing that and little gestures around that. So when someone's probably really driven you mad and you're really angry with them and they've exposed you and humiliated you, if you can find a little act of kindness, it, it's extraordinary in terms of changing the quality of the atmosphere. It's very, very difficult to do. If, for example, you've had a big row and you almost find, you you, know, you can see the kind of craziness, the irony in it, and then you say, hey, do you want a cup of tea? Let's 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 sit down and try a different kind of conversation. But those little gestures are actually significant in terms of changing the mood.
1: It goes back to that thing of, you know, in some of the problems I get, it feels like one person's doing all the heavy lifting.
2: And I can imagine
1: them thinking, well, why should I ask him or her for a cup of, you know, would they like a cup of tea? Because they're never meeting me halfway. And then I, I guess, you know, it goes back to the thing which just you can't make people behave in a different way. So if you have someone and you have differences and they're not doing any of these things, eventually yes. you're going to have to decide whether or not you want them in your life.
2: But I might challenge you on that. I think mm, it's a bit, bit of a trap to look for symmetry in terms of how much work people are doing. I always say, because in therapy people always go on about what their partner's not doing and not taking mm. responsibility for... And actually, the only thing we can change is ourselves and our own behaviour. And by doing that, it's quite possible the other person will change as a result of what we do. True. So we kind of need to give that one a chance.
1: But I think also sometimes people might think that they're doing all the taking responsibility and changing.
2: But sometimes the act of us behaving in a way that we like ourselves. Yeah. um, And that we feel more like a grown-up in the relationship in itself makes us feel better. So, and sure, we have to decide we want to be the other person, but we also have to decide whether we'll be happier or more unhappy by not being in the relationship.
1: Of course, some people haven't got the, well, they have got the choice, but, you know, with family, I suppose yeah. it's harder to um, yeah. disassociate, yeah. or at least it's not always the end of the Irritation. Um, I have a lot of people writing to me saying, you know, can I cut my mum or dad off? And and I sort of say, well, you can, but it doesn't mean it's going to be the end of it, really. Going back to what I was asking about, is there a common like if you imagine the problems as flowers, if you pull them up at the root of everything, it strikes me that there's fear, whether it be a political leader or a person in a family. Would you say I'm ask? I don't know. I'm asking you, but in terms of the differences, isn't it about fear?
2: Yes, I think it's it's possibly about a whole range of emotions, but somehow that's the one that becomes the most magnified and often fears about um, not knowing, ignorance, things we've been told, uh, seeing people as threats. I mean, some of it might not be in any way justified. So we're, it's definitely worth unpacking what the fear is about because... The fear is just another defence, you know, the kinds of things that are in our head. You know, if we're racist, some of our fears about the other person might be, if we actually unpacked it, be to do with the stories we were told. It it might be nothing to do with the reality. And so we need to get underneath what the fears are about. there's somebody that you do
1: want to sustain a friendship or relationship with, but you have got quite radical differences and you feel that you've listened to them are there some phrases that you could use to start a conversation which would make them less defensive and more ponderous about where their opinions come from yes
2: yes yes um well i mean everything needs tailor-making and um if you're if i'm too prescripted it won't necessarily apply in in your setting but i suppose if i was having a big difference with a, a maybe a friend i might say look It seems like we keep ending up having some kind of argument about this. And I'm sad because, you know, this is an important friendship for me. I'm just wondering, is it useful if we just listen to each other a bit more and understand what's happening and why you think and I think so differently? Because I want to take care of the friendship. So what you're putting in is something about your valuing something mm. but then that's naming really something really seductive difficult. gabrielle god if someone oh.
1: said that to me i'd just be like yeah i just <laughs> that, that's really powerful because actually it becomes less about the difference and more about the friendship yes more
2: about and, and and you know you've said continuously throughout this there's a point at which you say i don't want this relationship anymore and i think we do have to discriminate like that but if we really care about it and we want to take care of it i think that the frame we do is the valuing of it and and a way of showing our love to that other
1: person and what about some good phrases about trying to prompt them to open up about where those feelings come from
2: and you can say Look, I know we always end up differing about questions like abortion and I find that quite painful, but I do think I would really like to understand where do your, where do your eyes come, come from? You know, I really want to understand why you think as you do. I mean, do you think men are better or women are better at <laughs> differences? Oh, I think that's a brilliant question. You know, it's very paradoxical. I've always thought women are better at friendship because they're better at intimacy. But I think there's another side to Men are very good at doing things with friends and often get into less emotional complexity and disruptions. And I think somehow we can learn from each other that we need to be close and we also need to have boundaries and space sometime
1: yeah i think that's so true and also i think um what you were saying earlier about sometimes it's not about the talking obviously it depends what it is but it's not about the talking it's about the doing something together or the connection because sometimes you can talk things to death oh yeah and make no progress and what you're doing is just borrowing deeper and deeper into a hole yeah Whereas actually i mean i think there's a reason that you know on some of those courses they have these team building exercises and it's a lot of practical stuff and i think we used to do far more practical things maybe a little bit less thinking
2: yes yes as a psychotherapist (laughs) i'm rather an advocate that sometimes we over talk things and that's where we started you know the act of doing something like you you know when you started doing art therapy and you said well i can't make pictures but actually it, it it somehow took the tension out of it we didn't hit it head on and you could have your private space as well to think about things
1: gosh yes i mean especially for our the person i was which was just out of my teens talking although i do remember dr stone saying to me you don't seem to have any trouble talking <laughs> but we're no closer to what the problem is
2: I know. i remember that yeah i remember exactly that but uh, yeah and of course you've always said talking's not enough it's how you talk and what you do and uh, i think that you're a great advocate of that and that's very important
1: well i think really for me the biggest thing I remember once you said to me, and I've carried this, and I might cross stitch it onto a cushion, you said, you don't don't want to be right, you want to be understood. And that's actually so true about me. And a lot of people don't get that. They think it's, I want to be right. I don't. I know what I know, but I just want you to understand me. And really, that's what managing differences is all about, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Because actually when we want to be right, we want to be heard, don't we? We want to be taken seriously, and it, but it can look like you're trying to make the other side weaker and to win. Whereas actually what you're really looking for desperately is some kind of recognition.
1: Thanks so much to Gabrielle for that. Her artist website is linked in the episode description. Her book describing her conflict resolution work is called The Fog of Peace, How to Prevent War and is published by Bloomsbury. What I learned from this conversation is how important it is to show vulnerability if you want to build bridges with someone. Appropriate vulnerability, i.e. where you can trust the other person, can be an effective antidote to someone else's fear, which I think is the basis of all conflict. The series is produced by Hester Kant, the music is by Toby Dunham, and our artwork is by Low Cole. Follow us on social media, on Instagram, at Pocket Annalisa. You can read my Ask Annalisa Barbieri column in The Guardian magazine every Saturday. And we'd love to hear your suggestions for topics you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts. Please email us at conversationswithanalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from today's episode, do please share it with someone else you think might find it useful. And it would mean a lot to us if you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and do join us again.
0: and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365 day returns
1: hello this is Annalisa i started doing this podcast because it's an idea i really believe in So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.